welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We're not deserving of the least of your favors, and yet you have poured out all of heaven's treasure house on behalf of us, race of sinners. You have highly favored us by giving us the Son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the Savior of men and of women and of children, that we can, you've given us the capacity to be grateful and to be thankful and to choose to believe in the Savior. Help us to understand this. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a father who was trying to explain to his four-year-old daughter about marriage, what marriage involved. And so he sat down with her in the sofa, and he decided to pull out the wedding album, and he was pointing out to the four-year-old the various members of the wedding party. And pretty soon the four-year-old pointed to one of the pictures and said, Daddy, is that when Mommy came to work for us? Who is the greatest mother of all times? She is the greatest mother of all times. Well, I'm not referring to Eve. Eve is the mother of all living. But she is the mother that I'm talking about this morning who the angel Gabriel hailed by saying, Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And most people interpret the highly favored to mean that the Virgin Mary was a super Hollywood beauty star. But the Bible makes very plain that favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord or reverences the Lord, she shall be praised. That's Proverbs 31, verse 30. So for an angel to tell Mary that she was highly favored of the Lord did not mean she was uh, adorned with cosmetics and jewelry, but that she had the hidden adorning of the heart. She had a beautiful spirit. Mary herself discloses that she had a problem, and it involved her great and deep humiliation because she sings a, a hymn, a poem to the Lord with these words, The Lord hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, Mary evidently knew uh, sorrow. She understood rejection, even as her own son was despised and rejected of men. And at last, Joseph married her to be a stepmother. She was a stepmother to at least six motherless children, four boys that we know of by name, 
No, many, no one knows how many girls. And the aged Simeon predicted that a sword as big as Goliath's sword would pierce her soul. Surely Mary knew sorrows. No mother in history has ever been called to endure such terrible pain that Mary went through, even though it's probable back in those days that there were many pagan mothers in the Roman Empire who were forced uh, at the Colosseum to watch their sons being crucified. But no, none of those was forced to watch the son who Mary believed was the son of God to be crucified. And she had to witness that with her own eyes. And the sight of her son, the son of God, being crucified, that must have torn terribly at her soul. For with his death, she thought, undoubtedly, there goes the death of all mankind. Well, in our few moments together this morning, devoted to Mother's Day, I wonder if we can learn any story from Mary. Yes, those words, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, That is a good Mother's Day message to every mother in the world just to simply believe the good news in that message. And why? Because her son is the Savior of the world. And that Savior, that includes you, dear heart. God has a very special regard for every struggling mother. And her prayers have a special place in his throne, and in his heart. What was it that made the Virgin Mary to be the happiest mother of all time? Well, before that big sword plunged into her, as she witnessed the death of her son on the cross, the happiness that Mary experienced is indeed shared by every mother who has experienced childbirth. Pregnancy for mothers is almost a time of near euphoria, isn't it? God made woman to feel happy becoming a mother. We can praise God for the thoughtfulness and the kindness that he has given to mothers to experience childbirth. But beside, aside from all of that natural happiness that every woman is intended to know in motherhood, the Virgin Mary was especially blessed and happy. And we read of it in the book of Luke. Mary has just learned that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah. And so she is so enthusiastic and so joyous about that news that she dashes off to all of the, uh, to the hill country. She wants to make a visit to her cousin, an older woman. Her name is Elizabeth, who is the priest Zechariah's wife. And she is six months pregnant. And uh, this Elizabeth bestows upon her a supreme benediction there in Luke chapter 1 and verse 45 by saying, Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, every mother may share that blessing that comes from believing the good news that the Lord is communicating to her. There will be a performance, and her dreams will be fulfilled. And successful child training comes from mother believing the promises of God. But to believe requires a calm, a thoughtful heart, free from fretfulness, from impatience. Yes, your child might annoy you and exasperate you at times. And now will come a real crisis for you as mother 
Will you believe the good news that God loves your child more than you do? And if you don't get in God's way, he will give you wisdom. He'll help you to train up that child aright. Or will you give in to doubt and unbelief and not believe his promises and allow Satan to put you in discouragement in this crisis with your child and provoke you to fretful words in your mouth that will indeed confuse your child? Well, blessed is the mother who immediately reacts to every crisis, to every problem, by believing the word of the Lord, believing his promises. And a good prayer to pray every day for mothers is what that father prayed one time long, long ago when he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That's in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. That's a good prayer, a humble prayer. This dark world needs more mothers, needs more mothers who will believe like Mary believed and refuse to speak unbelieving words. Now, being a grandparent, that is also a special blessing. And one sees uh, how mother love is exemplified in not only a mother's birthing of a child, but also in grandparents and being a grandmother and grandfather. Have you ever noticed that when the baby is in the house or in the room, all eyes are on the baby, right? That's the center of attention. No matter who is holding the baby, whether it's grandmother or grandfather or mother or daddy, every moment, eyes are always on the baby. That's the center of attention. And there's just no human love that we know as faithful and enduring as the love of a mother for a son. Now, I say a son because it is sons who get into so much trouble. And they're the ones usually that break their mother's hearts. They do that more than daughters, you know. At least seem to. The best son in all eternity broke his mother's heart when she was forced to watch him writhing on a Roman cross crucified as though he were a criminal. Can you imagine the pain that slashed through Mary's heart? Just like old Simeon, when he found Joseph and Mary and the holy child in the temple, he said to Mary, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul. And the Greek word there that old Simeon used was that a a, a big sword, like Goliath's sword, that huge weapon that Young David pulled out of its scabbard as he jumped up onto the, onto the uh, giant and felled him and stunned that giant. And, and then after he had hit him in the forehead with a, pe- a pebble, and then he cut off his head. That kind of a sword went through Mary's heart as she witnessed the Son of God dying. What a prophecy that Simeon made in the temple through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And poor Mary, as she watched her holy son grow up, And she wondered at his holy character, what joy Jesus must have given to his mother Mary. But she could never forget that prophecy of that old prophet in the temple that always lingered in the back of her mind. And no mother has suffered the pain that Mary must have suffered when she saw Jesus being crucified. Well, someone may object, but there were many mothers in the old empire who had to watch their sons crucified. Yes, but don't forget, the more 
sublime hope and joy that Jesus' identity had brought to her from his birth to the awful event of the Calvary. She, she could not understand what is going on here. And sometimes in my faulty human thinking, I have wondered, maybe it would have been more merciful if the Lord had allowed Mary to join her husband in going to sleep before Jesus was crucified on Calvary. Maybe that would have spared her some of that pain. But I don't think I'm going to second-guess the Father. He knows what he's doing. And the Father permitted this terrible, awful event to be witnessed by the human mother of our Lord and our Savior. And if any mother will read that awful story of the Gospels as it is, she will be inspired She'll be strengthened to endure the trials that God in his providence permits mothers everywhere to endure. How much does God care about you? How much does he care about you as an individual? How important are you to him? The biggest problem that children and teenagers have today is that they don't know who they are. Oh yes, they know what their names are, of course. They know the names that their parents have given to them, but they don't know their true identity. They don't know their sense uh, or sense their own self-respect. As individuals, they just drift into all kinds of evil and think of themselves as, I'm just a big zero. I'm nothing going nowhere. And that's the root cause of so much crime and degradation, including Uh, teenage promiscuity and pregnancies that later produce a replay of the same tragic consequences just generation after generation. When you were born as a baby, your mother probably counted everything about you, everything that she could see about you. She counted that you had both eyes. She counted that you had two ears. You had two hands, two feet, Yes, she probably counted the toes, each one to make sure that you had ten normal toes. And she paid attention to you, and you were important in her eyes. But as you grew older, you began to realize that she could not follow you all around in everything in your life, recounting your fingers and your toes. You were on your own. You were starting to get launched. And that's when you began to have problems, unless you had learned somehow to believe that you have a heavenly Father who cares for you infinitely more than your father and your mother ever could. And one thing that your mother, however, never counted on you was how many hairs you have on your head. And even though she cared about you, she never cared that much about you. But Jesus makes a very fantastic statement that must not be brushed off as mere exaggeration. He says there in Matthew chapter 10, 29, that your heavenly Father has counted all the hairs on your head. Don't disbelieve that, because Jesus says it. So it has to be so. You have a heavenly Father who knows every hair on your head. He's counted them. Now, that is a very important point. Not the actual arithmetic of it, 
but uh, because if he revealed that to you, that wouldn't do you any good. But this is Jesus' way of saying what David said in Psalm 139, 17, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. Now, what will you do with this? Believe it or disbelieve it, that God has precious thoughts toward you? Your happiness, both here as well as maybe forever, is depending on which way you choose. Do you believe that God has happy thoughts about you and pleasant thoughts? And then let me share with you probably the shortest sermon in the Bible. It's only one sentence preached by someone who has a right to the pulpit at least once in her lifetime, the Virgin Mary. She preaches to those frustrated servants who don't know what to do about an emergency situation there in John chapter 2, verse 5. She says to those servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. What a sermon that is. And then there's a period. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And she's talking there about her son, Jesus. Now, you can't get bored with such a short sermon, but maybe you could get frustrated by it because it seems that he's always, Jesus is always telling me something to do, something that I feel maybe that I just can't do. And those poor servants, he told them, Fill the water pots with water. Well, that's easy enough. Then he said, take them to the master of the feast. Okay, that's easy enough. But they must tell the boss when they get there with the water pots, Sir, here is your wine that you ask for. When you know jolly well that there's water in the pots. Now that's hard. Doing or saying what your heart says isn't so is anything harder than that. Well, let's find the good news here. First, it's your Heavenly Father that is telling you to do this or that. Second, a true father never drives or provokes you to frustration. Remember there we read in Paul's counsel, to fathers provoke not your children. And third, he is telling you what to do. Now take the time to ask him how to do it, and the Father will respond to you. And note that Mary did not say, whatsoever your friends tell you to do, do it, or whatever your teachers or counselors or your parents even tell you. They may be right, and they may be wrong, but no one understands like our Heavenly Father. Jesus was a youth, and he knows your problem exactly. He was tempted precisely like you are in all things. He understands your, uh, your selfish fear, and he still likes you. In fact, he loves you. Believe that. And listen to Jesus praying at the age of 12. He prayed, not my will, but thy be done. He tells his doubting, frustrated parents, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, whatsoever he saith unto me, I must do it. That was Jesus. He believed that when he was 12 years of age. In other words, he anticipated his mother's own sermon. 
Maybe you feel helpless and hopeless. At least you can look. You can watch him, listen to him in Gethsemane on his cross. You can identify with him there. Your dead, lifeless heart will begin to experience a resurrection in him and with him also. And then I think of the one memorable marriage in the Bible that no one seems to talk about, and that is the marriage of Joseph and Mary. And is there some kind of wisdom that we can learn from it that will sum up the lessons of that marriage? The wisdom that we can learn from Joseph and Mary's marriage is honor thy stepmother. Now, the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother, correct? But not a word about honoring a stepmother. But that's exactly what Mary was a stepmother. Matthew 12, verse 46 tells us that Jesus had brethren. And chapter 13, verse 55 actually tells us that the names, the names of those four of the brothers and adds that Jesus also had sisters, but doesn't tell us how many girls there were. So then the question arises, were these brothers and sisters, were they children of Mary herself? Or were they Joseph's children? By a previous marriage. And there are two quite clear clues in the Bible. The fact that Jesus' brethren bossed him around would indicate that they had to be older than him, because in Jewish families, the younger never did that to the older siblings. And number two, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he did not leave his mother to the care of any of these brothers or sisters as he would have done if they were actually her children. Therefore, the conclusion seems inescapable that these four boys and these girls were children from Joseph's previous marriage, and he was a widower. And that opens up a wider view of appreciation for Mary herself. Because being a stepmother to such a brood must have been a a really challenging job, don't you think? We, all, we already know what the frictions and the tensions are in a family um, where the siblings of Jesus did not believe in him. John tells us that. And that would mean also that they did not believe in Mary. And imagine raising at least six stepchildren who are not truly respectful to you and who believe that you may be questionable as far as the origins of her son's birth. But wait, look how the story turns out. After Jesus' crucifixion, at least some of those siblings repented and they believed in Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we find that Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren, gathered in the upper room with the apostles and they were praying for the Holy Spirit. And one of the boys actually became president of the church. His name was James. And so I conclude that all honor goes to Mary, who was a stepmother. The love of parents for their children is a wonderful thing. Is it possible for that to be reversed, that children can love parents? You know, parents can love children even if a child is bad. The parent still loves them. 
and now by the grace of the Savior. Is it possible also for a child, perhaps grown now, to love a parent in spite of his or her badness? I think of an example. There was a, an irritable elephant that got onto the main road over in Africa and was harassing the motorists as they were passing by. And finally, the game warden had to shoot the beast. And then they found out the real problem. It had a painfully abscessed tooth. And yet the elephant was probably normally docile. Many times we don't understand why parents are so irascible and frustrated sometimes in their upbringing of us, and it brings about a family feud between parents and children. But back of a miracle of learning how to love parents, maybe who are difficult to love, may be the realization that all of us at times are like that irritable elephant. Sometimes something gives us pain and it irritates us, but we learn from the Bible that Jesus, too, had things that gave him great pain. He was despised and he was rejected by men. He was abused. He was insulted. Yes, he was crucified. He had enemies and he had tormentors, but he prayed for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as we want God to be generous with us, to overlook our faults, and to love us in spite of them, so now we are given love and grace toward other people who wrong us. And that's the miracle. That's the assurance of the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And that assurance that is embedded therein rests on the firm foundation of a truth more solid than the everlasting hills. It is the love of God for a lost world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you imagine a more wonderful father to have than God himself? And that is the father of Jesus Christ. But wait, here's a problem. There was a time when the father was so distant from Jesus, so unresponsive to Jesus' pleas for help, that it seemed to Jesus that his father didn't love him. When Jesus was on his cross, the father seemed so far away. Maybe your father or your mother have seemed at times so far away emotionally from you. So Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? And then according to the record in Psalm 22, 1, Jesus kept on praying to that father who seemed so far away, who did not seem to answer. Jesus prayed to him, you do not hear. And during those awful hours, Jesus had no visible evidence that his father cared anything for him. Don't discount the reality of the temptation that Jesus felt the father was so far away from him. If he had opened his heart to welcome in that temptation of Satan, Jesus could certainly have become very resentful and bitter. But he resisted that temptation. And he chose instead to create something out of nothing and to believe that his father loved him and heard him even though there was not a shred of visible evidence to support his faith. And here he was, despised 
and rejected of men. He was forsaken by his own disciples. The heavens were black above his soul, and yet he chose to trust in his Father. And so we read that before he died on the cross, Jesus gained the victory. It seemed he was in the last throes of agony, being tossed on the horns of a bull, a wild buffalo. Save me, he says, from the horns of the wild oxen in Psalm 22, verse 21. I cannot see your loving face, Jesus says, but I believe you are there. And even though it seems you don't love me, I believe in the darkness that you do love me. It's like a child who cannot see the loving face of his parent in the dark, but trusts that his or her love is real. And on his cross, Jesus cries out for all of us to hear. In verse 24, he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. And so Jesus built a bridge over a vast chasm of darkness and sin, a chasm of our guilt, and he made a way for us to believe in him when things are dark for us. And we call that bridge the atonement. We call it the reconciliation. And now you can build a bridge of reconciliation between you and your parents, even though it doesn't seem that they care. You can build a bridge, even if they, they are gone to their rest in their grave. You can recreate the matter and receive the reconciliation that Christ wants to give to you. Yes, by the grace of Christ, your Savior. And your faith, based on him, and his faith is powerful. It also builds something out of what appears to be nothing. Love that is more than our normal human love takes over. And it begins to work miracles. And such love, which has its origins in Christ, works miracles here on earth. Many are the alienated families who are healed by the grace of Christ. I was reading a story about a man who took his wife and his son to a lake outside of the city for a vacation. They rented a cabin. And while the mother was fixing a meal in the house, the father and the son went out on the lake in a boat for a while, and suddenly a storm came up, and clouds covered the sun, and there was darkness all over the lake as the waves began billowing, and then the son and the father saw that the mother had put a light in the window, and the father said, son, I'm going to row, and you keep your eyes on the light. Help me go in the direction of the light, and they did, and they made it to the house safely. And when they arrived home, the, father, the mother was there to greet them. And the son said, Mom, we came home safely because we steered by your light. I wonder when our children reach heaven, if they will come up to us and they will say, Oh, Dad, oh, Mother, I made it home safe because I steered by your light. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee.
Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.